Well, I've been talking about the, uh, the Eightfold Path. So today we're on the second, the second part of that. Does anybody know the second section of the Eightfold Path? <laughs> yes, it's, it's, do you remember what the first section is? Yeah, the, so we have the eightfold path. We have eight parts to the path that are that are what the the way the Buddha taught us. Um, we start the monal part of Buddhism is we begin with the four noble truths, and then the fourth noble truth is the description of the path that can help us live a life that will bring us out of suffering. So it's the uh, it's the treatment that the doctor orders to help us because life, life is, there is suffering in life, but there's a cause to that, and that's attachment and craving, and there's a way to let go of that attachment and craving, and the way to do it is to follow the eight, eightfold path. And it's, it's usually pictured like a pie, or, uh, if, if last week I had the, kind of traditional wheels, the wheels, and told people to take a copy of it. So you might have taken a copy and drawn on it or colored it. Um, so when we get to the, the, the wheel, the eightfold path, there, it's divide, the eight pieces are divided into three sections. So the first two are called wisdom, and the second three are called virtue or our our behavior our ethical moral behavior and the la- and the last three are called samadhi or concentration and that is talking about our mental development and our meditation practice so we started out with the first two last week and the first one is right view and the second one is right and the word right can be, uh, it's translated from a Pali word that is sama, which usually means the, the best or the, the, the top, the best of something or the most perfect something. But a lot of times when we speak about the noble eightfold path and we call it like right view and then right intention, that right means it's more like it's the most appropriate thing to do to to develop the uh to be able to undertake the path that the buddha taught so it's not like there's a right path and a wrong path it's more right in the sense of being appropriate or ben- most beneficial and it's it's the most appropriate way the buddha taught us to to be able to go on that journey of the path that he that he had to take and then he began he was telling us what he could about how to get on that path. And we know that Buddhism is not about, if you, if, uh, I just read something today that said the only sign that a person is a Buddhist, the only, only indication that someone would be a student of the Buddha would be that their actions are following their actions show that they that they are actually 
following the teachings of the Buddha. So it's not based on knowledge or intellectual knowledge or, or books you've read or the scholarly part of it. There are a lot of Buddhist scholars who aren't even, would not consider themselves practicing Buddhist. But, but if we don't even need to say we're a Buddhist, our actions are, speak for us in that. So, and it's these eight parts of this path that, that our actions would be, would be in and would be shown in. So, we start out with right view, which is talking about the eightfold path, and it's also talking about uh, the uh, the being being a student of the other teachings of the Buddha, and then right intention or right. I like the word uh, aspiration. So that and that includes the opposite. You know, does anybody not Todd? You can't answer this one. What are the three? Because I know you know the answers. What are the three poisons, or the three, what is it in uh, Theravada and its poisons, or three fires? So what it, anyway, we talk about them as the three poisons in general. These are the things that are, that are common to all kind of, of human life, uh-huh. Anger. Anger and hate would go together. Yeah, that's aversion. And what's the opposite of, of things you hate? No, it's, these are poisons. These aren't good things. So aversion is that anger, that hatred, pushing away. The, uh, is, is, yes, it's desire. It's sensual, uh, sensual lust, sensual desire. So that's, uh, so that's their opposites of each other. And then the third poison is ignorance. So those are the three poisons. And that's what we're always trying to, we're always trying to let go of those things in our lives. That's what we're always working with. And those are the things, those are the three things that hold us to this earth, that cause us to want to come back over and over again because we, we like all this. We like all this. <laughs> we like impeachment trials and all that kind of stuff. We like all the drama and the, the, the drama is, you know, it's, there's a lot of stuff. It's like gravity pulling us to come back and back and back. And so the, the more we can lessen those three poisons in our lives, the, the lighter and the more free, more liberated we become. So, if we're, when we look at right intentions then, or right aspirations, or right motivation, which is the second noble truth, we're looking at the opposite of those three poisons. So instead of, uh, that sensual desire for things, just, you know, for comfortable things, for great food, for everything, just everything we want to grab at and pull towards us. So the opposite of that is that is uh, renunciation. It's like letting go, not not needing so much, you know, like being nicer to the earth. It's probably one of the reasons that we're experiencing a lot of uh, angst over the climate change right now, because we realize in the desire to have everything we want that we've kind of messed up the rest of the planet that we're living on. But it's also just letting go of things when we see we don't need them. It's, it can be a, 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 it can just be a gentle release 
but it's letting go of the things that we desire but maybe are not things we need, but they're the things we chase after and we think we have to have. And uh, that's with mental states too. So renunciation or letting go of or just uh, recognizing that there are things that we don't need that we can let go of. And then the opposite of aversion is loving kindness. And then the opposite of wisdom, well, the opposite of ignorance would be wisdom, right? But we're, so those are the three things that our intentions need to be, uh, the reverse of. But, so we think of those intentions being, uh, loving kindness and compassion and, um, Todd, now I'm going to ask you, what's the third? <laughs> so wisdom, is, which is the opposite of the ignorance. I was thinking that I was missing a word. So that's, that means that everything we do, we can always check ourselves and think, is everything we're doing in our daily life, are we, are we maintaining those intentions? That's with every conversation we have, with every, everything we do during the day. Uh, every every kind of action or uh, phone call we have or how we treat people as we're getting to work and coming home and how we treat our family and uh, are we are we honoring those aspirations and I mean if you really do that you're you're, you're really watching yourself pretty carefully and that can be a homework assignment can be to watch yourself for a week. Every day watch something that you maybe is part of your regular day and think about uh think about your intentions or what you your aspirations are for every every in, interaction you have, every uh biz, part of your a business interaction or a personal interaction. Just look and see like, is your intention to be kind and to not do any harm? Or maybe if it's somebody that you're really upset with at work, maybe your intention, is your intention maybe to do harm or to be sarcastic or to be critical? Uh, just kind of start watching yourself. If thinking about if your intentions are to be harmless, to be, um, Kind and to, and to do things from a place of wisdom instead of, uh, ignorance. So that's, that's intention. So that's right view and right intention. Those are the first two. But the ones that I wanted to talk more about tonight were the ones that come under, uh, right, uh, right ethics, right morality. So if you, how many of you have taken the precepts, the five precepts? So if you've taken the precepts, then you know the five, the first five precepts, you start out with doing no harm, to not kill other, any beings. And then the second one is not to take things that don't belong to you. And the third one is to not be engaged in sexual misconduct. Which means, in, in, in the Buddhist teachings, that means not, uh, not being in a sexual relationship with anyone against their will. You know, it needs to be, it needs to be like a, uh, no one's being taken advantage of, no one's, 
uh, no one's being forced into something. And, you know, in the Buddha's day, it was it couldn't be a slave, like a, an owner and a slave, or uh, someone who was too young or still, still living with their parents and under their parents' uh, in, in their parents' household. So we, we don't think about having slaves and some of those things today, but it has to be a very mutually consensual uh, relationship, and it has to be, and it has to also have those qualities of kindness and harmlessness in it. So those are the actions. So in the Eightfold Path, we have right action, which includes being not harming others, not taking what doesn't belong to us or stealing, or even taking ideas or, or uh, just taking anything that isn't, doesn't actually belong to us. So that's the way we use resources also. A lot of teachers are kind of bringing that into their talking about the uh, not to take things that don't belong to us. They're talking about when we, when we take things out of the earth that we don't really need to be destroying. And uh, so that's so being harmless, not hurting any any beings, and not taking things that don't belong to us. And the third one is not engaging in sexual misconduct. So right action can specifically be we can look at those. And then there's also uh, not in, not engaging in in intoxicants that cause our minds to be heedless can be included in that. And then what's the other? I'm missing one of the five precepts. Yeah, not telling, not lying, the right speech. So when we take the five precepts, not not tell, not being dishonest, not lying is the first precept on right speech we take. So right speech is its own. Uh, it has its own part of the eightfold path. So right action includes those things of being harmless and and not taking things that don't belong to us, and not being in, engaged in sexual misconduct. And then right speech has its own, it's very important. So when you take the eight, eight uh, precepts, half of them are about speech. So we, we include not telling lies, and right speech also includes not using uh, harsh speech or uh, malicious speech, and not engaging in idle chatter, which is, for many of us, is our personal favorite. (laughs) It can be gossip. It can be um, just talking when we don't really need to talk, when maybe silence would be better. So speech is very important because our speech, you know, once you say something, you can never really take it back. You spend a lot of time trying to take it back, but it's hard to do. So if we work with our speech and are very vigilant about that, it saves us a lot of, uh, a lot of grief afterwards because we can, we learn to be kind of keep things, think about something before we put it out. So, okay, so we've talked about right, right action, right speech. And right livelihood is the third one. And right livelihood is just how we earn our livings. It needs to be something that doesn't harm 
anyone else. So that rules out, um, you know, killing, killing animals, slaughtering animals, and it leaves out working with uh, selling weapons, and it leaves out selling slaves, which I'm just going to assume nobody here is involved with. Um, but there might be other crowds where people would be involved with that. So, uh, so it means doing, doing work that is not creating any harm. And so some people are concerned even about the stocks that they buy and, the, and uh, things that they may have, the, whatever their portfolios might be, that the companies that they're making a lot of money, sometimes those are companies that might be doing things that we wouldn't consider right livelihood. So you have to decide for yourself how, you know, how, how much you want to get involved with that part of your life right now. But when we, when we go to work every day, we want to know that we're not, as much as we can possibly know, that we're not doing harm to, to other people, to ourselves, uh, or, or to, to the, to the rest of the world. So, I think it's also important since we spend so much time with our jobs and our careers and our work that we try to find something that we love so we can be the best person we are when we're at that job. Uh, also is, is our, I think, right livelihood if we have, we need to look at it like maybe we're working too, working too many hours and we have a family that we need to be with, maybe right livelihood could actually mean, well, you might want to cut back some of the overtime you do, or uh, you, you want to be able to spend more time with your loved ones and, and a little bit less on the job. So we have to look at all those aspects in right livelihood. But... If you, if you think you have a job that might not be right livelihood, I think it's good to maybe really think about it and think about what is it. Is there something you can change about it that would make you feel that what you were doing in your job was okay and not violating your, your basically your, your ethical position? Probably being a, a national politician at this point would be really hard to be right livelihood. I think uh, Romney spoke to that when he voted. I don't want to talk about politics, but Senator Romney spoke about that when he voted uh, against one of the, he, he voted against the president on one of the impeachment impeachment issues. And he said he takes his, his, uh, his ethical behavior and very, very seriously. And he knew that this, this impeachment trial would be maybe the hardest thing he would have to do as a, as a senator. And he said it did come down to that because he, he was, he, he was one of maybe the only one who voted against that particular impeachment section. So, uh, it's it's very hard sometimes you may have a job where you're you're really concerned that you can't be honest with yourself in some of the decisions you have to make so those are the ones that are those that is a section of the eightfold path 
that involves our our virtue, our morality, our ethical sense. And the reason they're on the path is because these are the things that make it easier for us to live every day and be able to develop skillful qualities and wholesome qualities and allows us to stay in the, on the path. There, there are other things that we can do that are a lot of fun. Maybe when we were younger they were a lot of fun. But uh, as we mature we realize that if we live our whole lives that way we're, we're, we're not going down a path that's going to cause us to be happy. And we have to begin to look at our behavior very uh, specifically because what we're looking for is a way to be a skillful, wholesome human being. And skillful means that we, that we know how to see things that are not good for us. Think, you know, we can recognize this is good for me, this is not good for me. And this I, you know, this I can handle, this I have to stay away from. So that can be, uh, you know, I can, I can have little tiny pieces of chocolate in my house, but I can't have an entire, you know, box of cookies or uh, a bag of chocolate truffles. <clears throat> Somebody tests us every time we have sutta study. One person brings an entire bag of truffles. And it's pro- and I think maybe she does it just to see, uh, to see what happens with it. And the, everything that's left all goes to Bhante Bhadia. <laughs> so he tells us he's not eating that chocolate. So we hope to, I hope the rest of you get the chocolate from him. But it always is like, oh, why do you put the most delicious chocolate candy here right on this table in front of all of us? But nobody tells her not to. Nobody tells her to stop bringing it. So, but we're all we're all probably trying to work with it the best way we can. So what we're always trying to balance in our lives, as the more as we as 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 we move on this path and decide, okay, so far this path I like what I'm seeing, but we can't just listen to the Buddha's teachings and go, oh, those are great teachings. I like them. It, then, then we're not we're not practicing. This isn't a an intellectual exercise. It really has to be that we start looking at everything that we do and see how it's how it fits in with that path that we're walking. So the path the you can think of the Buddha as the one who cleared the path for us and gets us started. And then if it turns out that it's the path that we want to follow too, then we have to we have to start you know, cutting away the underbrush and uh, working with ourselves and making those changes that we want to see in our lives to, to, to become the person that we want to be. So we have this human life, and the Buddha said this is the most important life there is because this is our chance, this is where we can see a lot of things, we can understand we have the consciousness to really see. We can see cause and effect, and we can see we it's you know we're not our life is short enough that we that we have a sense of urgency to find uh, to to search for this path, 
And we also have the ability, the brain power to, to reason and see, okay, if I'm suffering, what am, I, what am I doing? What is it about my thinking or my attitudes or my behavior that's, that's my part in this suffering that I'm experiencing? And we can look at that and then begin to see what, what we can change and the things that we can't change. So then we can be okay if we see this is, you know, this, this one aspect. It's say someone we love dies and we're having trouble with letting go of grief. We can see, we can begin to look at a situation like that and see, okay, I'm really suffering. I can't get over this. I can't let it go. So what part of it is me adding to the suffering? And what part is just, this is what the world is like? So we can begin to see, okay, every, we lose everything, everything that's as impermanent. Everything that we love, everything that we have is kind of falling apart all the time. So what do I need to do when that thing, then when that thing finally goes away, that I'm not going to be grieving the rest of my human life. And then we can see that it's our craving, our attachments, uh, wanting to hold on to the things we love or don't love. And that's what's causing us to have that uh, unending grief. But we know, we can see, okay, there's part of this that I can't change. Part of this is the reality of this world. And part of it is what I'm bringing to the table, and that's the part that I can change. So I can understand everything I love will die. Everything I own will disappear at some point. I'll die. And then we can begin to live life knowing that, so we can begin to look at it from a different facet. Like, I know that everything is impermanent, so I can enjoy the moments, the the that I can enjoy it when it's there, and then I have to know that I have to let it go when it's gone. So that's when, that's when we begin to work, and that's, that's when we are really developing our minds, and we're looking at, okay, here's my part, and then this other part I have no control over. And so what can I do to make this work out in the, the best possible way? And that's where our skillfulness and uh, with these qualities that we're trying to develop will will start arising. So the next section is uh, is going to be on on uh, samadhi or concentration, and there's and I'm I I, I like this, so I want to just tell you there's there's a I created an uh, acronym. So when we think about right effort, it is. The acronym is P-A-A-M. It's not quite PAM, so I thought it's more like a southern, like the way I would say PAM. It's just PAM. (laughs) So add that extra syllable in there. But it's right effort is when we, we want to prevent letting in, in our mental states and our, uh, our mind and our just our consciousness. We want to pre- prevent letting in unwholesome, unskillful thoughts and ideas and mental states, like being in a bad mood or being angry. So we want right effort is preventing that from 
kind of arising into into our minds. And then it's uh, the the A, the first A is, and we want to abandon those negative states of mind and those negative ideas and uh, that conditioning that we the as we become aware of it. <clears throat> We want to abandon those unwholesome, unskillful thoughts, ideas, feelings, uh, not take out feelings. We can't control our feelings. But we can, we can work with our conditioned states of mind and, and we can see those. So we want to prevent the new ones from coming in and we want to abandon or just let go of because we don't need them anymore. The ones that are already there, that have already got a place. And then we want to arouse, this is the second day, we want to arouse more positive, wholesome mental states and mental uh, you know, ideas. We want to arouse that so we can, we can let that in. And then we want to, then the M is maintain. We want to maintain those wholesome, skillful states of mind, so it's just four four different things that it, that become what right effort is, and I think right effort works very much with these, uh, you know, what we just talked about, like even uh, even this uh, right right action and right speech. So think of Pam. <clears throat> so preventing new new unskillful unwholesome things to come in and abandoning the unskillful, unwholesome mental states and conditions. When, when abandon them, when you realize, I don't need this anymore. Like, I don't need to be angry at, you know, something that I have a lot of anger about. It's not serving me anymore. I can let it go. Uh, or ideas that we might have that we realize it's just something that we were carrying on maybe for... One of our parents sort of instilled it in us, but but it hasn't been healthy or helpful for us. We can let it go when we when we don't need it anymore. When we can see it clearly, and then we want to arouse, like wake up to the to the good, skillful, and uh, wholesome ideas, ways of thinking, uh, and then maintain that, maintain those good things. So that's in the next part, but it also, I think it also has a lot to do with with our right action and right speech. So you can watch yourself with that. You can, like, I tend to be critical. And so if I watch that, I can catch it before I just say, instead of just saying what comes out of my brain, if I can watch it a little bit, I'll de- I can decide I don't need to say that. It's not right speech. Right speech needs to be true and beneficial, but it also needs to be at the right time, and it also needs to be um, not hurtful. What what quality am I leaving out? There are five. So it needs to be something that's not hurtful for me and not hurtful for the other. So anything we say, we also have to look and see, if I say this, is it going to 
Is it going to backfire on me? Is it going to hurt me? But then also, is it actually going to help the person I'm speaking to? So right speech, we can work with that a lot. (laughs) Okay, so that gives you lots to... uh, think about but just uh, just the thing you want to the thing you want to always know is that the eightfold path is not like something just to memorize or um, it's really it's really a way to to kind of know where you are with any any situation you can look at the you can however you want to imagine the eightfold path you can look at that and pretty quickly see where you might be out of balance or where, oh, you know, I'm not even, I haven't even thought about this one. And maybe that's where, that's, that's where things are getting, like your wheel is starting to wobble and <laughs> may fall over. But it's, uh, it's just a good, it's a simple, logical way the Buddha wanted to describe what he called a very ancient path. But he rediscovered it. And every Buddha that comes to the planet has to rediscover that same, the same truths and the same, the same way to achieve those, those, uh, to work with those truths. So it's like, it's like being an archaeologist or being a, an explorer and you, you, you discover there's a, a whole city underneath the, the, the brush and the, the wilderness. So we've got to be out there chopping our own path too, but we at, le- we at least have these guidelines and the teachings that the Buddha gave us that help us see, see the path. So thank you, everybody. <laughs>